Jesus did have siblings, and it was his sibling James that wrote the book of James, and that James did really not believe in Jesus until sometime after the resurrection, and maybe even at that moment when Jesus appeared to just him. So, don't read all those lines. I want you to draw your attention to that red box, and I want to once again plug preceptaustin.org because you can find all kinds of great stuff out there, and that's where that very detailed outline came from. Now we can look at the details. First word that pops off of there is attitude, and that's in those first 12 verses. Question becomes, did Jesus have an attitude? Yes. When you say attitude in our uh, current lingual, you think it's a bad attitude. Okay, but Jesus had an attitude. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other as Jesus had. Now, that's what Paul had to say, and I go back to that verse many, many times. And this is what Jesus had to say. He said it in Matthew, and also he is the word, so he said it in Deuteronomy as well. Now, James and Jesus as kids. Do you think Jesus had a good time? Yes, he did, okay? So here we go. James says, those Romans. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Now, as a kid, he could have said, you know, those Romans, love your neighbor. Those Samaritans, love your neighbor. Now, would Jesus do something like that? Would it be a sin to do something like that? No. Jesus had a way of getting people's attention. What did he say to Saul of Tarsus? He said, it's hard for you to push against the goad, push against the prick. He was doing, he was doing Saul. Now, here's another one. Mom, do I have to? Honor your father and mother. So did James have an attitude? Okay. We've already established that James did not believe in Jesus until much later in his life. And you see JTS, I talk about NIV, I talk about ESV, I talk about KJV and JTS. That's the John Scrabbeck version. Go ahead, make a fool of yourself. So yes, James had an attitude. Do I have one? Yeah. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. And we already saw this verse where Paul is imploring the Lord to have us to have patience. So we're going to go back now to that same outline, and you see that word wisdom. You say, well, John, you usually do a verse-by-verse -verse study. We're going to do a word-by-word -word study, but it'll get faster next week, okay? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I've already told you that verse haunts me because I'm not sure how much Jesus knew as, an, as a human. Later on, in fact, not much later, I'm going to ask the question, 
in their house, did they speak Aramaic or Greek? And I tried looking that up, and these great scholars said, well, Jesus was probably multilingual. And I'm thinking, okay, if Jesus is God, he created all those languages. He's omnilingual. But look at that verse. I don't know, and now I'm going to let it haunt you just like it haunts me, all right? But Pastor Vernon would say, too soon old, too late smart. Dr. Dobson would say, by the time I had some wisdom to share with my kids, they were gone. The first comments I heard about Pastor Tony was that he had wisdom beyond his years. And so with age comes wisdom. And you see this verse from Ecclesiastes, remember your creator in the days of your youth. How many times do I quote my dad? A lot. From the days of my youth. I hope Pastor Tony, as long as he's our pastor, I hope he's here a long time if we're not raptured. If we're raptured, I hope he's here a little time. In fact, I wish that more than a long time. I hope I hear all kinds of Bolivian stories because he found Jesus in the days of his youth. I've got wasted years. I don't have to answer for them because God's already forgiven them. You know, there's that old song, wasted years, wasted years, how, oh, how foolish. Well, you're looking at them. The Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. So now we're going to look again at trials and endurance. Again, these are the first 12 verses. Trials and endurance, to accept them properly, requires attitude and wisdom. And you see how that can affect not just me, but others. I had a fender bender this week. First thing I did was when the truck came to a stop, I thanked God that I wasn't hurt. Second thing I did was I stepped out and I looked at the side of my truck and I said, I've got collision insurance, it'll be okay. It was a single vehicle accident. And then somebody said, because of your, the truck's age and its mileage, it's probably going to be totaled. Well, then you say, for what they're going to give me, can I replace that truck? Later this week, I have a dump trailer. It's one of the best toys I've ever bought. But through operator error, as I was dumping it, I tore off the tailgate. Not a good week. James tells us, blessed is the man who endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive patience. I look back, and that verse instantly hit me, knowing that this was going to be the class, right? Look back, and I say to myself, As if I was a young man, would that verse come into my head? Well, first of all, the verse wasn't around to be in my head, okay? But trials and endurance require, the proper acceptance of trials and endurance require both a good attitude and some wisdom about it. So, here we go, word by word. James. At home, did they say James and Jesus, or did they say Jacob and Yeshua, or Yeshua? I was talking with Art Hershey some time ago, and he said in his family, when, he was, when, when the family was younger, I don't know if he was old enough to be him specifically, but he was talking about his family. He said they spoke German at home, and then when World War II came, they started speaking English, 
because of what? Discrimination, fear of reprisal. You know what they did to the Japanese in California, right? Anybody here grow up in a multilingual family? You did. What was your primary language when you were a kid? English, okay, so you picked up Spanish along the way, right? How did you learn your Spanish? Speaking at home, right? Okay. So when I was a kid, very young, the language was Slovak. But very early, they started teaching me English. Why? So I could be productive outside of the house, okay? Now, because it was so early, the Slovak just has a few words that are in there. But imagine, here's Mary and Joseph raising these kids, and whether they were speaking Aramaic or Greek, they were teaching them to become... We know that Jesus was multilingual because sometimes he spoke in Aramaic, Aramaic like We know that he was multilingual. Well, how did he get there? You're back to increasing in wisdom and stature. Let's see, well, how did James get there? Because he wrote in Greek. How did James get there? Mom and Dad. Old Testament. Who was Jacob? Okay, he changed his name to Israel. Who was he the father of? I don't need names, just need a number. He was the father of the 12 tribes, okay? Who was Joshua? Successor to Moses. Successor to Moses, okay? He was a leader, okay? Now, here's James and his attitude. And he's sitting there, and first of all, they didn't have... Ranger Bill. They didn't have Wits End. These are WDAC stories. They had Bible stories. So here are all these stories about Jacob, and we hear about the, the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but they never hear about the God of Joshua. So there's big brother, and there's little brother, and in the, the, the course of the civilization that time, all the glory went to the big brother, although in the Bible it doesn't work that way. Cain and Abel, who got the glory? Abel. Esau and Jacob, who got the glory? Jacob, that's right. You go down below that, and you have um, Reuben going all the way down to Benjamin, and there's Joseph, who got the glory? It wasn't the baby. The baby wasn't quite ready. It was it was Joseph. So, James, James has an attitude. Now, let's take a look at the word servant. Paul also said he was a servant, but he was a servant, and look at that. The hardest position in the orchestra is second fiddle. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Did Jesus wait till he was 30 years old to be a servant? Come on, you know the answer. There's no way he waited till he was 30 years old. So here's little brother, and here's big brother, and there's Joseph and trying to teach him how to plane a piece of wood or whatever that it is, and I can see Jesus helping James along. I can see Jesus sweeping up the shavings. And what's James doing? He's watching all this. Hasn't quite clicked yet, just like all the sayings of my dad didn't click. 
Remember my first pastor I sent, he went from the dumbest man, dumber than a fence post to the wisest man I ever knew. Jesus was a servant. And he said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. So, God. Theos. What kind of a Bible, this is a rhetorical question, what kind of a Bible did they have in the synagogue of Nazareth? Well, it wasn't a King James. It wasn't even a book. It was a collection of scrolls. What language were the scrolls written in? Now, there were two flavors. Excuse me a second. When my phone goes off, I have to make sure it's not an emergency. It's not an emergency. My family knows don't do that during this hour, but nobody else does. Okay? The Septuagint was Hebrew translated into Greek a couple 300 years before Jesus and Joseph, Jesus and James made the scene. Now, how did the gospel spread so quickly in the Bible times? Alexander the Great came, conquered everything from here to there, and the Greek language became the common language. Rome conquered the Greeks, and they put in the roads, and so you could travel safely. But now Greek became the language. Little known fact, Hebrew had become, and that's what the, the, most of the Old Testament was written in, had become a dead language, like Latin. In fact, if you study the word, he, the language Hebrew, not to study to learn the language, but study the history of the language, you'll find that when it came back to be studied, people weren't sure what some of those words, words really meant. So, I'm going to just suggest that the scrolls in Nazareth were in Greek. And so James, a servant of God, James, a servant of Yahweh, James, a servant, the Greek would be Theos. Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh, our God, Elohim, the Lord is one. That's what the original transcripts, manuscripts, sorry. That's what the original manuscripts read. But did James hear, hear, O Israel, Theos is one? We don't know. I want to come back and say, they didn't hear it just in the synagogue. They didn't hear it just in Saturday school. They heard it at home. Look at verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road. Now, Jesus had this to say. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in Theos. You believe in Elohim. Believe also in me. James grew up in a Jewish family. I'm sure it was a, an observant Jewish family. He had no problem believing in Elohim, in Yahweh. He had no problem believing in Theos, but he did have a problem believing in Jesus. We saw that verse. So, we're still on this verse. Lord. When did the relationship go from little brother, big brother, to servant, Lord? And what about me? 
when did I go from historical Jesus to Savior Jesus? Well, for me, I know it was December 9th, 1979, to Lord Jesus. You know, the saying is, if he's not Lord of everything, he's not Lord of anything. But then you look at this. So if you can't see it, there's, those are arrows going back and forth and back and forth. He's my Lord. And then I fall. He's only my Savior. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all righteousness. He can become my Lord again. And so you see that going on. James, a servant of the Lord of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the kid's still, song, he's still working on me. He makes me what, the, what he wants me to be. It took him a week to make the moon and the stars. And of course the verse is, he's still working on me. I'm going to be 70 this year. Seven times, 70 times that week, times 365, forget leap year. He's still working on me. The 12 tribes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, greeting. I already mentioned to you that Jacob was the father of the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes. But now, let's take a look at what happened since Genesis to the New Testament. First of all, what tribe was James from, and how do you know? He's from Judah. How do you know? That's where Jesus came from. Both Joseph and Mary. James was a half-brother because James' dad was Joseph. Who was God's dad? Uh, who, I just gave away. Who was, Jacob, who was Jesus' dad? It was God, okay? So he was from Judah. Now, the northern kingdom, remember it's to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad? The northern tribes, ten of them, and the southern tribes, two. The south was Judah and Benjamin, and the north was the other ten. Don't ask me to name them. The northern kingdom got carried off to Assyria, and the southern kingdom got carried off to Babylon. Now, what was the difference in the way the Assyrian Empire dealt with captives versus the Babylonian Empire? What was the difference? The Babylonians took the captives and pulled them right into Babylon. The Assyrians took some of the captives from this province and some of the captives from this province, and they mixed them together. All right? So what did that mean? During James' time, there were Samaritans and there were Jews. How did the Jews feel about the Samaritans? Not so much. They despise them. Of course they do. What was Jesus' attitude towards Samaritans? What did he tell James? Those Samaritans. What did he tell James? Love your, Love your neighbor. Okay, what was Jesus' attitude towards Samaritans? Love your neighbor. So, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, greetings. Now, this is John chapter 4. This is the passage where Jesus met the woman at the well. And they were just leaving chapter 3, and that's where Jesus was in Jerusalem and spoke with Nicodemus. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. 
Do you see Jerusalem underlined on the map? Okay, good. Now you see Samaria, and now you see Capernaum. Now the names don't really give it away, but there's Jerusalem, and to go to Capernaum, the, the easiest way is to walk downhill to Jericho, follow the river, and then go up to Capernaum. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? He had an appointment with that woman. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit. There's the same verse, and you see Jerusalem. It's underlined in blue, if I don't know if you can see it. And you see Samaria, and you see Nazareth. Now, whoa, that didn't make any sense. So if Jesus and his family were traveling, and they had to do this three times a year as he was growing up, as they were traveling to Jerusalem, the most direct route is Nazareth, Samaria, Jerusalem. So do you think Jesus and James had gone through Samaria a few times? Okay. How do you think the attitudes were as they were I was going to say driving through Samaria. <laughs> As they were walking through Samaria. Rough, right? Oxford football team just played Chester in football. And I don't know if you heard about what was going on during that, after that football game, but there were unassociated, some gunshots that went off close enough to the Oxford team getting on the bus that they all hit the dirt. Do you think discrimination is still around? Do you think prejudice and racism is still around? There goes my phone again. Is that an emergency? No. Come on, guys. Okay. The prejudice of the time. First of all, here's Nathaniel about to be selected as an apostle. But when, the, when Andrew came to him, he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Now, there's a difference between Nathaniel's question and the Pharisees' question. The Pharisees said, the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. But Nathaniel didn't say, the Messiah. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel was a Galilean. Nazareth is in Galilee. Within that district, within the same faith, there was prejudice. And we're going to see that when we get to chapter 2 when James talks about favoritism. So how about, there's the woman at the well, and she says, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman? How can you ask me for a drink? First of all, Jew, Samaritan. Second of all, male, female. So she was a recipient of the Jewish prejudice. Do you think the Samaritans had a prejudice towards the Jew? Yeah, that's just how it works, right? Now, this comes later on. And he sent messengers on ahead, that's Jesus, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him. So there's the, the prejudice on the other side. 
because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, this, this is James, the brother of John's, not, not the James who wrote James. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? So there's a prejudice there. But James managed to outgrow his prejudice because he wrote, greetings to the 12 tribes, not to two, not to the sons of Jacob, and you can figure out which ones you are. He said to the 12 tribes. And these things are all part of his outgrowth from the mores, the ethics, the attitudes that he had as a child to the point where he became an author inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, this slide you saw before, and the purpose of studying James is to attain spiritual maturity, and I have that proceed with caution. Why did I have that proceed with caution sign? Anybody remember from last week? If you don't study it with the right attitude, legalism could sneak in. Legalism could sneak in. In Genesis, we hear the phrase, sin croucheth at the door. It's there. It's ready to consume us. And we're going to see that probably next week. And lust, when it hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You've seen this, and we started on this before. There's time, there's spirituality, and there's the verse that says we're to be conformed to the image or to the likeness of his dear son. And I said, I don't want to go this way, just kind of a, uh, an idling Christian, and then bang, the rapture or death. I'm, I'm like him. I know him even as I am known. Uh, is that line straight? Well, that line is straight. But the way we grow in our Christian life, is that line straight? No, no. I fall. I have ruts. I have mountaintop experiences. And you've seen, that staircase, of course, comes from 2 Peter, and that's one of my favorite verses. That's how we grow. And there's 2 Peter. And believe it or not, because I've been all over the map, we're talking about patience. Sometimes you'll see the word long-suffering. Sometimes you'll see the word perseverance. But we're talking about patience. And you see right there, one, two, three, fourth step up. Now that verse goes like this. Make every effort adding to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control steadfastness. Now how do I get the steadfastness? I just said it as I quoted the verse. Make every effort. Okay. So James' letter portrays the natural outgrowth of a life saved. Natural outgrowth. You say, well, if that's the case, it's just going to happen. If I plant seed in fertile ground, plenty of sunshine, all the situation just right, that seed's going to, it's going to boom. But if I plant seed, borrowed from the scriptures, either in thorny ground or rocky ground, not so much. But it's a natural thing for that seed to grow. But how much growth are you going to get? We're going to be talking about that because we're going to get to that next verse eventually that says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So 
Here's a, a much more acceptable outline of James as opposed to a whole screen covering 12 verses. In chapter 1, when faith is stretched, it doesn't break. And that reminds me of a verse that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, if we're faithless, God, Jesus is faithful and he cannot deny his own. But when our faith is stretched, it doesn't break. When it is pressed, it doesn't fail. When it is expressed, it doesn't explode. And those verses, chapters 3 and 4, talk about wisdom and they talk about the tongue. And chapter 5, when faith is distressed, it doesn't panic. Chapter 5 talks about the patience of Job and the patience of the husbandman or the farmer. And that one other great verse, you can only do this in King James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous, righteous I can't even say it, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the outline of James. We're being coached on how to reach spiritual maturity. Who's ever heard the phrase, don't pray for patience? Must be a Baptist thing. Oh, I got a little, you must have snuck on went to the Baptist church once. <laughs> don't pray for patience. And this is why some people would say that, because they're only looking at a selective portion of Scripture. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience, King James, patience. So if I have to suffer to get patience, who wants patience? Don't pray for patience, suffering rendereth patience. But patience renders perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. What else produces character? Habits. Good habits and bad habits. So you see three different flavors, and you see 2 Peter, Galatians, and Romans. We already talked about Romans 5, where suffering generates patience. And here's 2 Peter that we covered. It says, make every effort. And you see perseverance underlined because I'm trying to keep all the different translates straight in my head. What's Galatians 5.22 talk about? What are the first few words before you read love, joy, peace? King James says long-suffering or patience. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. So should I be praying for perseverance? Forbearance, long-suffering? Sure I should. Because that verse that we're going to get to says that patience helps us lead to wisdom or spiritual maturity. Testing leads to perseverance, leads to maturity or completeness. When you hear the word perfect, it doesn't mean I'm without, without fault. It means maturity. So do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Here's what's coming out. This is one of the things that come from patience, perseverance. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised, and in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Chapter 10 ends. Chapter 11, verse 6. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Another verse says, I just lost it. It's old age sinking in. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So there's a graphic, and you see some rock climbing, and that's somewhat mundane. What if it was the rock climbing where you're driving stakes into the ground, and you've got rocks, and this and that, and the other thing? What could happen in that picture? You see success, what does failure look like? One or two guys hit the ground, right? But there's a victory at the end, and you see that over towards the right. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. Who, Old Testament, asked for wisdom? Solomon. So give your servant Solomon a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Skip a few verses. So I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Understanding right from wrong. Did Solomon abuse his wisdom? A lot of heads are going up and down, yes. Can I abuse wisdom? If Solomon can, anybody can, right? There's that same verse again. So how do I get wisdom? We're going to cover several points here. How do I get wisdom? First of all, you ask for it. It's up above, right? That was an easy one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And there's that picture again, and you see knowledge down in here. This is, this is a repeat, but you see knowledge down below. Now, simple example, knowledge. I know that a pot of boiling water can scald me, can scald anybody that gets into contact with, right? And I know that if a little guy reaches up and grabs the handle of that boiling water and pulls it down, he's going to get scalded or worse. Next one comes in for you guys. So wisdom means, well, in that case, I'm going to turn the handle around so the little guy can't reach it. So you see here, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. They work together like building blocks. So how do I get knowledge? That's why the stepping stones are in there. Well, how do I get knowledge? We all went to school. How'd you get your knowledge? You learn it. Okay. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Now, when we get to chapter 4, we'll have, we'll have a verse like, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. The person should not expect to receive, that person, the one that's tossed around, should not expect anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So what's the cure for being double-minded? 
Lobotomy? What's the cure? We're going to see it in James chapter 4. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How do you get rid of double-mindedness? How do I no longer be unstable in all my ways? Come near to God. I'm sorry, Eric. Become narrow-minded. <laughs> okay, well, I heard the phrase, you're so narrow-minded you can look through a keyhole with both eyes. <laughs> a narrow mind could still be a double mind, right? I've got, I've got, this is the way it is, but I can still be a waverer, right? Come near to God. Before that, we, hear, we see the verse, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye unto you. Wash your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, Proverbs, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And I ask the question, how do you get wisdom? Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. We've seen those words. How? Number one, pray to him. We saw that in James chapter 1. Two, study him. Now, what does that mean, study him? Study his word. Live for him. We're going to see later in chapter 1 that the Bible says it's like looking into a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what manner of man that I am. Looking in that mirror, you know, I looked in this morning, mirror this morning and looking at you guys, everybody else did too. Now, let's say last night I was cleaning the chimney and I took a shower, but I missed my forehead. Crazy example, but that's what comes into my head. This morning I look and I see that thing and I say, I'm late for Sunday school. That's how I sometimes read my Bible. It says, John, you are a jerk. So what? That's living for him based upon studying him. And I think we're going to wind down faster than the clock talks about. There you go. Stop here. And it's 941. I'm four minutes early. We'll pause for questions or comments about this or anything else you want to talk about. I won't guarantee an answer. Question or comments? Of course they do. Well, because whatever they say is truth. Okay. The, 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 well, we covered that last week, but I'm going to cover it again for you. The notion of Mary being immaculate throughout her lifetime did not crop up until the third century, as did the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Assumption means that she was taken up into heaven just like Jesus ascended. Jesus ascended by his own power. Mary was, I love the way they picked that word, assumption. Of, they assumed. <laughs> they assumed. It wasn't until the third century that two alternate ideas of James and those other brothers came in. The first one was 
that Joseph was a widower and those brothers and sisters were older than Jesus. Nobody talked about that for three centuries. And the third century is when the Catholic Church came into vogue with Constantinople and his mother Helena. The second one was, well, when it says Adelphia, and we covered this word cousin in that first session, when it says Adelphia, it doesn't really mean blood brothers or from the same uterine brothers. It means cousin. Well, the first century Bible students talked about Jesus and James as being from the same uterus brothers. And the word Adelphia, to fill Adelphia, the word Adelphia, ah, means from, and Delphia means brother, uh, means womb, from the womb. Now, I've got a lot of cousins, but they didn't come from the same womb. They were half-brothers of Jesus. A lot of things the Catholic Church has messed up. Uh, I'm not here to, to dump on the Catholic Church. I'm here to share the truth. Other questions or comments? Well, you said a lot of churches are messed up? This is true. This is true. Of course, you hear the phrase, if you find a perfect church, don't go because you just mess it up, right? <laughs> yeah. He was about his father's business. Exactly. Now, if you were going back to that verse where in Luke 2, where he says that, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, I don't know if that's where you were headed, but... Jesus, we see a verse that says, Jesus knew what was in their hearts. That was Jesus, God, okay? Somebody says, when is the coming of the Son of Man? And Jesus' response was, only the Father in heaven knows, not even the angels. Jesus was God, but Jesus as man is responding, saying it's God's business. So that's another thing like the Trinity that we'll never understand. It's another thing like the sovereign will of God and the free will of man that we can never reconcile. I think where I was going with that was the idea that so many churches end up being legalistic side. You know, we gotta work, we gotta earn, we gotta work, we gotta somehow attain because we we just in that earthly box, we don't we don't wanna we don't wanna recognize them as called God. Mm-hmm. We're now past time. We're now past time. We're just going to quit here. Thanks for showing up, guys. <laughs>